This is Fireground Action Photography, Episode 57 for March 8th, 2011. This time I'm taking the show on the road and we're going to Denver, Colorado for ChaserCon 2011. This webcast is brought to you by Audible.com. To get your free audiobook download, visit audiblepodcast.com FAP and choose from over 85,000 titles to play on your iPod or favorite MP3 player. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fireground Action Photography, the webcast produced by and for photographers specializing in emergency services action photography. My name is Craig Derling, and I return as your host. Well, for this episode, I did something a little bit different. I took the show on the road, headed to Denver, Colorado, the weekend of February 18th, 2011, and uh, attended ChaserCon, the National Storm Chaser Convention. Joining me in Denver were Tim Tonge, Gene Blevins, and fellow fire photographer Brad Mack, who you haven't met yet. So if you hear some of those voices popping up throughout the episode, that's who they belong to. Well, again, uh, we were in Denver, Colorado for ChaserCon 2011. I attended uh, last year along with Gene and Brad and Timothy. We all showed up there, and it was a great time had by all. Uh, the... Uh, National Storm Chaser Convention, also known as ChaserCon, as in its, I believe, 13th year now, was founded and organized by uh, world-renowned meteorologists and storm chasers Roger Hill and Tim Samaras. You probably know those names. If you don't, you will by the end of this show, because we'll talk to them both. If you're a fan of the uh, television show on Discovery Channel, uh, Storm Chasers, you'll definitely know Tim Samaras. You'll also recognize a couple of voices and names throughout the show. This won't be a very long show. What I did is I took the handheld recorder around the the, uh, conference, and as I saw some people that I thought you'd like to meet, we chatted for a few minutes. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and let them explain what ChaserCon is. Okay, we're here with Tim Samaras, one of the founders and originators of the Storm Chaser Conference, or Storm Chaser Con, excuse yeah. me, Chaser Con. This is, how many years has it been going on, Tim? I think we're going on 13, 14, 15 officially. years. Yeah, officially, yeah. How did it get started? Actually, it got started at my house many moons ago on a cold January night. Um, you know, I decided, you know, that uh, spring was coming. We decided to get together and had a few friends over for a beer and pizza. And so I think the first, quote, Chaser Gathering was only about six people. And then a few, few more people heard about the next year. I had 20 people the next year. The Roger, Roger Hill joined me. And then that following year, we had over 80 people at the house. And my wife looked at me and says, you will not have this function here at this house anymore. And so what happened is we went out getting a hotel, and we had a, had a one-day convention, I think either the third or the fourth year. And then it just simply flourished from there. Wow. And it's over, you got over 300 people here now. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're at a record uh, 300 plus people right now. And we're here in Denver, Colorado, and the first speaker has taken the stage and they're talking now. Now, all of our listeners are going to know you as the Tim Samaras <laughs> from Storm Chasers, obviously on Discovery Channel. How did that come about, your role in that? Well, um, you know, I've been uh, deploying instruments in the past the tornadoes for about 10 years. And uh, before the discovery, I was uh, aligned very well with National Geographic, and I still am. I'm still doing some, some uh, limited research with them. 
And um, since the show has started, uh, the, the executive producer uh, wanted me to join the show, but at, at that point in time, I couldn't because I had an agreement with the society. So I actually, um, uh, you know, turned him down for almost two years. And then when the society's interest in tornadoes waned a little bit, they kept the pressure on, and I finally went, went in and uh, talked to them. And I'll have to tell you, they're a great group of guys uh, to be with. Their camera crew is very polite. Uh, having them with us each year, the last couple of years, have been just fantastic. Well, that's great. Now, you get yourself in the path of these storms, obviously, as we've seen on the show, and one of your primary goals is to deploy your probes in the path of the storms. What information, what do you hope to gain from doing that? Well, we have several instruments that have uh, different different capabilities. What we're trying to do is help understand how powerful tornadoes can get uh, near the ground. The lowest 10 feet is what we're our main interest, learning about tornado dynamics and tornado genesis. In order to go in there and sample these these very uh, close surface core flows, we have to go in there and place instruments in the path. And uh, some of the instruments I developed uh, several years ago has collected uh, record-breaking pressure drops uh, inside of tornado cores. Other instruments uh, that I've designed and built have seven video cameras on the inside so that we can actually provide visualization of the tornado core as it goes overhead. And what that helps us do is to help identify the wind structure, and we can actually use a technique called photogrammetry, and we can actually go in there and map out how the wind flow is actually interacting with the ground surface, you know, at least up to 10 to 15 feet. Uh, the new instrument that I had deployed near the Bowdel tornado last year, I've taken measurements up to a height of 2 meters. And uh, so I've taken three different wind speed measures, measurements, you know, 0.7, 1.2, and at 2 meters. And so what I was trying to do is to collect a profile of the wind from near ground up to at least 2 meters, about as high as I can go with a remote instrument. And we managed to get that done just this last year, and we collected some, some pretty amazing data. And this is data that's never been available before. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this data has never been collected before. Uh, because, you know, placing instruments, you know, people watching it on television think, oh, you know, that's easy to do. Which, in fact, it's very, very difficult. First, you've got to find the tornado. There's always a trick to forecasting and being in the right spot at the right time. Second, once you find the tornado, you have to have a good road network to get there. And once you have those two elements in place, the tornado may dissipate. So, you know, there's a lot of factors against us. But fortunately, we've been able to get our instruments deployed in several tornadoes over the past, you know, 8 to 10 years. Every year we've been able to get a successful hit. So, you know, we've had a pretty good track record so far. That's excellent. And, and as photography enters into this, how do you use photography, whether video or still photography, in your research in documenting these storms? And also, if you can touch on that uh, camera you've built that's on your dashboard to document lighting, how has that gone for you? Well, yes, there, there's two types of research that I do, you know, one for tornadoes and one for lightning. Uh, we have several other research vehicles that are called mobile mesonets, and they've got the weather station on the roof. And, and part of their requirement is to help photo document the storm evolution, watching the rear flank downdraft, the tornado in progress, where is it, and other cloud features, other winds, and other you know, vortices that happen to spin up. That provides a good documentation for the wind speed that we're actually recording on top of the vehicle. So the operator in the mobile mesonet has to have the, vehicle, has to have the video camera running at 100%. Uh, in our probe vehicle where we deploy our probe instruments, sometimes 
uh, going back and reviewing the, the, the probe deployment gives us some clues that we may have missed upon recovery. You know, exactly where was that probe placed, okay. if it moved, um, so things like that. more for reference. More for reference and more for scientific use. Unfortunately, you know, I'm not in the business of going out and selling video right. or selling photography. All of the video and photographs we take are for scientific research. Okay. And about the camera you have on the dash for the, that lightning bolt you want to get, the 8,000 frames? Yes. Per second? Yes, it's a uh, it's basically the camera that I used last year was a, what they call a Phantom V12-1, and that camera is uh, capable of near high definition uh, video of about 15,000 frames per second, and we try to capture wow. a lightning strike with it. But its main mission was to capture hail falling, believe it or not, on, on an impact plate at 1,000 frames per second. And the idea of that is so that we can calculate the velocity of a free-falling hailstone and its impact effects on various surfaces. And there was a certain airline company that is very interested in knowing what the impact effects are on their aircraft. It's amazing how many uses there are for the data you collect, from industry to, to storm prediction to saving lives. Well, yeah, that, that's right. And so, you know, what we do is we collect the data, we process it, and uh, we, uh, we publish it, and then it's there for all to use. That's fantastic. Well, we appreciate the effort, your efforts in that arena. Where can people go online to find out more about you and your projects? We, have, we operate a, um, uh, a website called twistex.org, T-W-I-S-T-E-X.org. Uh, uh, during the springtime, we keep a blog running of our near-daily activities. Basically, it describes what we have done in, uh, yesterday, our successes or failures, our current forecast, short-term forecast for the day, and it also has a, long, has a long-term forecast. And also, it has all the bios of the scientists and meteorologists, and also has references to all our papers that we've published. Great. Tim Samaras, thank you for your time. I'll let you, you get back to your conference. Yes, thank you very much. All right, we're back, and we're talking with Chris Chittick from TVN, TornadoVideos.net, and everybody the world knows him out there from Storm Chasers on Discovery Channel. Thanks for being with me for a couple minutes anyway on this busy day, Chris. No problem. Thanks for having me. Now, you are the lead videographer for TornadoVideos.net. How did that, that whole relationship between you, um, Joel, and Reed come about and your role as lead videographer? Well, it all started out like uh, <clears throat> I initially joined the team, and Reed was a videographer. Then he'd get so excited that he was all shaky, and you know we couldn't use any of those shots. So I was like, well, let me give it a shot. So I started shooting, and we actually put heart monitors on, our, on ourselves, and my heart rate slows down when we're chasing. Really? The exact opposite of yeah, Reed? so that my shot is just so calm and steady. Plus, I sit back seat next to the Discovery camera operator, and he's been teaching me over the last three years, you know, like how to manipulate the camera and get that perfect shot that you want. Okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because it, it, you are known for your steady shot in, in the thick of it. And so is it, is it equipment versus technique? Is it more technique? I think it's a little bit more technique. Uh, I mean, obviously, equipment. If you use good equipment, you're going to have better better outcome, you know. Like, uh, we use a Sony Z7U video camera um, a cool thing that we do is we warm it up to 7,000 temperature kind of give it more of that action look okay and then uh, for the steadiness is I just bring my elbows in and just brace it against my chest so it's like a human tripod kind of thing and this is whether you're you're in the dominator in or the dominator outside. or outside yeah and sometimes like I have to jump around the car because you know the inside the dominator it's 
smells really bad, number one, but it's also kind of cramped. So, you know, like I'll have to jump in the front seat and then just hold it. And those cameras, you know, they're heavy with battery packs on them. And, and you can't, there's nothing to rest it on. They're not right. shoulder-mounted cameras right. or anything, so you're holding them up constantly. So that's my workout during storm season. You know, yeah. I get My right arm gets pretty buff. Now, we've seen ca- – <laughs> it's yeah. like a pitcher, major league pitcher, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, we've seen the camera be passed back and forth mm-hmm. and all that, and we have noticed that is when Reed's got the camera, you know, it's kind of all over the place because yeah. he's talking, he's yelling, he's running, and we wonder where the usable footage comes from, and that's from you? Yeah, the usable footage pretty much all comes from me. If Reed's shooting, we might get about five seconds out of five minutes of usable footage. Joel, he just doesn't even know what to do. He just kind of looks around and he's crotch shots most of the time. And then uh, for me, I mean, that's my main focus. You know, that's how we make our money. Right. So you got to get that money shot to keep going, paying for gas, paying for hotels, and keep chasing. And do you have agreements with uh, local television stations, networks already in place? Or yeah. Or do you just shop it around? Yep, we shop it around. Uh, what we do is we pass it off to our, our person back at back in Norman. Her name is Heidi Farrar. And uh, I just added a quick, you know, 30-second clip, news breaking news clip, sent it to her. And we're, TVN is well-known enough now to where CNN, MSNBC, Good Morning America, everybody calls us. You've got like, the name now. Yeah, to say, hey, did you get this? Did you get that? And plus, we represent other, other storm chasers, too. Okay. So we rep out their video if they got oh, a okay. good video. All right. Now, do you edit packages or do any editing, or are you sending raw stuff back no, to the base? I use Adobe Premiere Pro. And in edit, the field? Yep, in the field and just edit it up. You know, for a YouTube clip, that's our main thing is you know to get a youtube clip up that night that's an amazing tornado so terry rosamond and myself will sit in my hotel room after the event and we'll edit you know and i'll make like 30 second breaking news like the most intense shots send that out to heidi we have our own server so i can just upload to that and she can download it off and then uh, get up to youtube at a cafe are you shooting sites. all high def Yes. And you send it out that way? You, prov- you yep. send that out? Yeah. Okay. Yep. It usually takes about like a good two hours once the video's done to upload, you know, the high definition. And I think the 7U shoots tape and to a card, right? Yep. Do you do, you do both or do you just strictly do I card? Do or tape only. Oh, just tape. Just tape. Because I know a lot, of, a lot of our shooters out there prefer the card yep. because they can upload it. They I'm can get it imported old quicker. School and, yeah, that is true. Like that's <clears throat> I just like tape because then I have the actual hard copy. Right. I'm always afraid I'm going to lose those cards. You know, and if I lose, like, something on a huge day, you know, you can't redo it. They're very losable. Yeah. Yeah, it's like having a postage stamp in your pocket. Exactly. And that's tough. Well, you've been chasing, it it says on the website, since 2000. Yes. How did you come into chasing? Were you from a meteorological background or photography background? Because we kind of came into storm chasing through photography. You Mm -hmm. know, we just like shooting anything that's on fire, exploding, shooting past us, anything like that. So we chase to get to document it with pictures and video. Is that how you came into it? Actually, no, I came in. Uh, with a business background and Reed and I are best friends from we grew up together in Michigan and uh, he started storm chasing in 98 he's like hey I got this new storm chasing thing we gotta check it out so then I started chasing with him in 2000 and he'd been getting contacted all the time via email phone saying you know people would love to come chase with them so then I was like well let's start up a tour company so we started a tour company up and then Discovery approached us and then we found out I had a photographic eye now, are you involved in the tours as well? Yes. And you still do that? Yeah. How do people sign up for those? How do they get uh, to those? You just go to extremetourneotours.com. We're actually booked up for the season right now. Um, we do six 10-day tours. They're $3,400 a person. We pay for a hotel and uh, gas, obviously. So that's all included? Yep, everything is included. All you got to do is pay for your own food and airfare. 
and uh, we have not had a tour that has not seen a tornado yet. Really? Yeah. All right. I might have to sign up for that. We've been doing it since 2008. We'll definitely put a link to that and TVN uh, in the show notes for the podcast here. Um, now, it also says on the website that you are known to chase a fire or two. Yeah. Now, that's going to warm the hearts of all of our listeners because we're all fire ground <laughs> photographers. Now, do you do that just to pass the time, or do you uh, do you actually... <clears throat> well, if there's, like, lightning strikes, that causes a lot of grass fires okay. in, you know, Oklahoma, northern Texas, Panhandle area, especially when it's the dry season. So, like, we've had a couple of good YouTube videos where I'll be shooting, like, a wall cloud, and then all of a sudden a t- lightning strike will happen, you know, hit, like... 50 feet away, and it automatically shuts the camera off from the power surge. The video camera okay. shuts yeah. down, and then we have a couple of videos where it just start grass fires. So, you know, if it's there, I'll shoot it, of course. And, and do uh, you shop that around separately? Shop it around, yep, yeah, but it's, you know, out here it's it's pretty common to have a lot of grass fires, especially during the summer times. Yeah. So it's not that big. Like, I know, uh, I've seen one video before where, I think it was David Drummond, actually, a lightning strike hit, and I started a grass fire, and then it led, the grass fire blew up, and it led to, like, a uh, gas holding tank, and then the gas holding tank blew up, and he got it all on video. Hold the shot. Keep yeah, rolling. it's pretty sick. Always keep rolling. That is. I'd love to see that. Is that on a website somewhere? Yeah, yeah. It's probably on YouTube. Just, I don't know, just search gas tank blow up or something. Wow. Okay. I'll, I'll Google that yeah. tonight, then. Um, all right. We got to talk about it. Our listeners are going to want to know, in the last season, you... you you took one for the team. You got bumped out of the Dominator twice. And the second time, you took it a little better than the first. At least it looked by editing. Now, did you did you do that for the sake of the business, for the sake of uh, was, just getting along for the yeah. rest of the season in, in the Dominator, or, or what? No, nah, it's like, you know, Reed, he's on the road constantly, and he never really has a chance to date. So I give him this one chance, but it's not going to happen again. I can put my foot down <laughs> You're business partners. Yes, we're business partners so, and tour company and TVN. And so was that a sacrifice for the company because you weren't there to to have to be running the camera? Yeah, yeah. Like if you uh, watch that YouTube clip from April 30th of this that last season, it's you know like I don't think I'm in there because I push Joel and Reed too. You okay. know, I push them. I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. That's a perfect storm. Let's shoot. Let's go down this road. They never seem to get you saying that, though. No, I know. You're being pushed. I know. What's up with that? I don't know. Oh, God. Editing. Editing. All that editing. It's sometimes good, sometimes bad. Unbelievable. Is the Dominator here with us this week? It weekend? is. It is. Uh, it'll be parked out front probably in the next hour or so. Oh, I'll have to go get a couple of pictures with For that. sure. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks. Great. Good to see you again. Thank I'll let you. you get back to your conference. All right. Take All right. it All right, we're back with Fireground Action Photography with Roger Hill, one of the co-founders of the ChaserCon, the Storm Chasing Conference here in Denver, Colorado. Thanks for joining us, Roger. Oh, my pleasure. Now, a lot of our listeners out there are definitely going to know who you are by name and by voice, because I'm sure, as as I have, many have seen your videos and, and heard of your tours. How did you get started in storm chasing? Did it come from? Did you come from a meteorology background, or how did? It, what was the genesis? Well, believe it or not, I, it started with a personal incident that we had with with uh, a family loss back in uh, Topeka, Kansas, in 1966. Uh, we had an F5 tornado go through Topeka, and it actually took our house and everything that we had, and, and uh, 
uh, killed 23 people, injured about 500, and and uh, just seeing the damage from what happened with us and our experiences. I saw the tornado coming down the street toward our house, and uh, that got me interested in, in severe storms. And then uh, after after being in the Air Force for for, uh, for a career, then uh, we started running storm chasing tours and and started spending and just a ungodly amount of time out on the plains chasing. <laughs> now, now, is your goal with all that to educate the public about these kind of storms, or is it a, uh, from a research perspective? Uh, probably more educate. We, we do a lot of, uh, of talks for at, at elementary and high schools, and I do a lot of presentations at universities around the country and civic organ, civic groups and things like that, and uh, just to kind of help, help folks to understand the severe weather environment a lot better. That's excellent. Now, how many tornadoes have you personally seen, and do you hold the record? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I hold the record. I got to be close, though. I've seen 537 in my in my chase career. And, uh, I know the old Guinness Book used to be about uh, was held by uh, Gene Moore, and it was like 260 something or something like that. But uh, my goodness, what, what the process that they put you through to validate a record is amazing because you have to you have to prove that you basically saw it by a, a photo or a video, and then you have to uh, uh, you know sign an affidavit, and then you have to have somebody validate that you indeed saw that that was with you that day or whatever. You know, we got through about 200, 250 of them, and I had a stack of papers about two feet deep, and we fi- we figured, no, you know, this is just going to take me another two years just to validate it, and it's, it's just not worth it. You know, I think by reputation, you, at the very least, you have the credibility. People just believe you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> now, I've seen many of your videos, and you've had, you've appeared on Discovery Channel and, uh, you know, various channels and, and documentaries, and it's interesting to see that even as many of you have seen as many tornadoes and severe storms as you've seen in tours, you've led you still seem to get as giddy and excited as as like the it's the first one yeah it's exactly right you know every tornado that you see is totally different from anyone that you ever saw and uh, I, I do I, I I love being in the severe storm environment I don't have to have a tornado but you know tornadoes uh, more like the icing on the cake right you know, give me a real pretty structured storm uh, out interacting with the with with the planes and you know just like you you know photography I love photography and videography as well and and uh, yeah I figure the day that I don't get excited anymore it's time for me to hang it up <laughs> absolutely but that also leads to complacency too and and just yeah, like sure. we cover a lot of wildfires structure fires where you need eyes on the back of your head you, you need the same when you're chasing these severe storms so if you get complacent through boredom or what have you that can that can be a dangerous situation yeah that, that's that's a, that's very very true and uh, you know what I what I what I always tell chasers, you know, pe- people always say, you know, you know, how do you position yourself so close to a tornado? And and I always tell folks, you know, it's it's fine to put yourself in the path of a tornado, or you know, in, in a position to parallel it or whatever, but never stop unless you have an escape route. You've got to have a way to get it to get out of its path. Otherwise, you're a fool. That's just that's just not a smart thing to do. It's just like a wildfire, and it's important to go into a wildfire understanding fire behavior mm-hmm. and what it's how the weather is going to impact that. Just like understanding the behavior of, of weather patterns itself when you're storm chasing. Absolutely, you know, and, and every storm and every tornado behaves a little bit different than anyone that you've ever seen, and you just don't want to ever get surprised and get caught off guard and, and not prepared. Absolutely. Now, as far as photography, do you shoot stills and video when you're chasing storms? Mm-hmm. I do. I, I, I have a, I have a couple of uh, Sony uh, professional camera camcorders that I use, and then I. I shoot with a Canon 5D Mark II that I just oh. absolutely love. And, Good and fellow Canon guy here. Yeah, so. oh, I didn't agree. I, I like Canon cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Kind of born and raised with Canon, so you yeah. stick with it, right? I hear you. What do you do with all of your footage? Do you, I know you create videos uh-huh. and you sell videos. Do you provide it to the weather service, to news stations as well? How do you share your, your footage? Yes. That's a very good question. I always, I, I've, I've always 
always try to maintain a very good repertoire with all of the forecast offices throughout the, the plain states that I chase in. And uh, I, I always send every forecast office a complimentary copy of my highlights DVD each year and tell, and, you know, tell them that they can use it for whatever training purposes they want to, you know, by all means. And then, and then uh, you know, as far as still photos go, I did the same thing. They have uh, carte blanche just to, to, to use whatever they want to for, for training. You know, it comes up a lot in, in our, our webcast, but it's about relationships. You need to build network and build good faith relationships with fire agencies, you with the, you know, with the weather service and all that, and those build long-lasting relationships. And it's a, it's a, a two-way, it's a win-win for both of you. I absolutely agree. And, and you know, when you, when you, use, when you work with a, a nation, uh, with a different national weather service office around the country, uh, and, and you, and you, you report you know, severe weather, whether it be hail or, or a wall cloud or a tornado or high winds or flash floods or whatever, you, you, you know, a lot of times they don't, they don't take, uh, you know, just anybody, you know, at, you know, saying, saying that, that indeed what, 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 is, what you're reporting is, is for real. You, you have to kind of prove it to them over time. And, you know, they have to understand, they have to know that, that you are a reliable spotter, that you don't exaggerate things or you don't report things that are false. And, uh, you know, frankly, that does happen, unfortunately. And, and so, you know, I, I always try to make sure that, that, that when a report is made, it's as precise as we can get, you know, from GPS location to exactly what we're doing. And, and you know, now in the day and age of, of uh, live streaming video, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that helps to eliminate a lot of false reports. Very well said. Now, this is my second ChaserCon, personally. I, I plan on, I keep. I want to keep coming because I, I get a lot of education out of it, but a big part of it is really the networking. And you keep, and it's almost, it becomes a reunion because you see the same people over and over again that you may not run into in the middle of nowhere all the time. Why should one of our listeners that's interested in storm chasing come to ChaserCon? Well, just, just exactly as you said, you know, first we have a lot of different talks that are quite educational. And, we, of course, uh, uh, John Davies' forecasting classes are, are superb. For, you know, and, and he's probably going to teach a basic class next year and an advanced class. So, so you know, you don't have to have a tremendous amount of knowledge or experience on severe storm environment to be able to, to come and get something out of it. But, uh, you know, just seeing, meeting the hundreds of other chasers that are out here, and, you know, you develop a relationship, uh, you know, mm-hmm. with, with a lot of folks when you, you know, over the years when you're, when you're out, you know, in whatever, whatever interests that you have, you know, it, it, you always, you, you meet folks. It's camaraderie. It's, it's hanging around with people that have that same interest and passion as you have. And, and, you know, cause, you know, you know, frankly, a lot of people think we're nuts, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, whether you're, whether you're messing, messing with wildfires I've, I've or you're messing that. with hurricanes or tornadoes or whatever, a lot of people think, are you crazy? You know, you but, have, but the first question they all ask is how do you get so close? How do you get there? Yeah. How, you know, yeah, how do you find it? Sure. Yeah, well, exactly. Absolutely. Now, you're very well known for leading storm chasing tours. You've done that for how long? Uh, 14 years. And the very successful track record. There are a lot of tours out there. Would you suggest somebody just getting into storm chasing that that may be the safest way to get themselves or expose themselves to severe weather? Absolutely. I, I, I definitely think that uh, going on a tour or finding an experienced chaser to chase with, you know, something something like that where you can gain some knowledge and experience before you try to venture out on your own. I mean, frankly, we all know a severe, a severe thunderstorm environment can be quite dangerous, you know, between large hail and lightning and, and high winds and tornadoes. Uh, you you know, if you find yourself in a, in a bad position because you just don't have the knowledge to, you know, to, to know better, uh, it, it, you can get out there and get yourself hurt or killed. And so, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's definitely important to either, you know, sign up with somebody on a tour or, uh, or you know, to go with an experienced chaser. And, of course, another nexus comes up is kind of the buddy system, is if you're going out storm chasing, not the best idea to go out by yourself. 
because you need, just like going to a wildfire, you know, if you're looking through a viewfinder, your attention is focused on one little bit of, of the danger. You need somebody with another set of eyes to put that hand on your shoulder and go, we got to get out of here. And I totally agree with that. You know, I've had a couple instances where I went chasing by myself, and one almost cost me my life where I had a, I had actually I had a camera set up on a tripod, and uh, I had the, had the tripod get struck by a bolt of lightning, and I was about 10 feet away from it. Ooh, it it wow. knocked me down, almost knocked me out. And uh, I was by myself. And I was also in the middle of nowhere where there was no town within about 50 miles of us. And, and uh, you know, frankly, that, that, that scared me pretty bad. So if I go out by myself anymore, then I always, you know, take somebody with me, whether it be my wife or, or a, you know, a friend to come out and chase with or whatever. We, we, we learn from experiences we walk away from, right? Yeah, fortunately, you're able to walk away from some right. of them. You know, and sometimes other people, you know, aren't so lucky. You know, so. Now, when you're photographing or, or, sh- or shooting the severe weather, do you have any techniques that you develop, you have developed over the years to get good footage, to hold that camera steady? Are you a fan of tripods, for instance? What, do, what are your secrets? You know, when you're, when you're shooting video, it's, it's, as, it's as important as, as, as you can make it to hold that camera steady. Don't pan, don't pan it around like you're, like you're using your eyes, you know, looking around at different parts of the storm. Don't zoom in and out and in and out. You know, go hold that shot for 15 or 20 seconds before you go moving it to somewhere else. And it's important to get that wide shot of the whole storm in a tornado and then zoom in and get a nice tight shot of the tornado. But, you know, don't, don't let it. Don't, don't let it look like it's your eyes, you know, bouncing right. all over the same. And then tripod mount, if you can at all possibly do it. If not, use your car as a, as a brace to hold up against or even a telephone pole or something like that. Uh, I wouldn't recommend using a fence because if a lightning bolt hits a fence and, you know, it can travel down that fence and, and pop you a good one. And then, uh, you know, as far as, you know, as far as still photography goes, absolutely, it's an extremely important to put it on a tripod to, just to get that real crisp, clear shot. Yeah, I've recently modified, last couple of fire seasons, modified my, my equipment to where I have a camera mounted on a bracket with a video camera. So I can do stills and video of the same at the same time. Mm-hmm. I had to learn quickly. I can't jerk that around like it's just a still camera anymore to get that shot, move over there, get that shot. I have to do it smoothly yeah. because yeah. now somebody is sitting in their living room watching it, and we don't need them to get sick. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely agree. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll definitely recommend that people check out uh, your videos, your your the tours that you offer, and all the above. What's the best place online? for people to find out what you're up to and, and see what you uh, make available. Sure. We, we actually, I maintain two different websites. One that's more of a personal website. It's uh, www.stormchase.net. That has uh, thousands of photographs and videos of, of uh, chases over the years. And then uh, our, our tour company website is www.silverliningtours.com. Like every cloud has a silver lining. Excellent. And we'll put links to those in the show notes on our website so everybody can click on those. Great. Just in case they're driving right now, we don't need them. We're trying to write down the website. So we put, make them available on the website. They can click right through. Well, thank you for your time, Roger. Thanks oh, for another pleasure. great conference. Be safe out there. Maybe we'll run into each other this season. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) All right. We're back with Fireground Action Photography. We're outside the venue right now with the Dominator. And dominating right next to him, right next to it, is the Reed Timmer. You know him from TornadoVideos.net, but the world knows him from Storm Chasers. Reed, appreciate you taking the time out from the conference and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, you, you've you been interested in meteorology for a long time. That's where it started with you. A lot of us that listen to the webcast, the photographers, we came to storm chasing through photography. You came to videography through meteorology and storm chasing, right? Tell us how it all, all got started. 
Well, I've been obsessed with weather for as long as I can remember, ever since I was probably five years old. Uh, I'd watch the weather on TV like six hours a day. Uh, as soon as I got my driver's license, I started chasing lake effect snow squalls in western Michigan growing up. And in uh, 98, I decided to follow my passion and study meteorology at the University of Oklahoma. And I'm um, still in school 13 years later, still storm chasing, and seen about 250 tornadoes since then. And uh, I'll be storm chasing for the rest of my life, for sure. Well, I think you got your street cred because you're, you, you're finishing up your Ph.D. on meteorology right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm almost there. I should defend my dissertation either later this spring semester or just after storm season. So I'm getting there. What is it about storm chasing that, or meteorology in general that drives you? Because you're a passionate guy. You're obviously passionate about what you do. What drives that? Well, it's such a young science. I think, you know, the tornadoes, especially right at the base of the ground, and that's what causes a lot of the loss of life and property, is still a mystery as to how strong the winds can get, how low the pressures can fall, and it's kind of the last frontier of atmospheric science. I think that's what draws me to it. Uh, it's the challenge of finding tornadoes and making an accurate forecast, and also uh, driving a vehicle that's equipped to handle those winds and getting inside adds a whole other level of challenge right. there. Tim Samaras noted about his probes was was getting data from that low portion of the storms that have never been seen that's never been seen before. The radar doesn't see it, the Dow units don't see it, and you you have to get close to get that. Yeah, you have to get really close, uh, if not inside. And uh, basically, our the Dominator is a mobile version of one of. Tim's probes. Uh, when the tornado moves, we can adjust and you know, try to intercept that way. Uh, we have a radar mounted on the roof that measures the vertical winds inside tornadoes because we're not only interested in the horizontally rotating winds, but those intense updrafts that you can get inside the funnel. And how, what are your results from that so far? Well, I measured a 200 mile per hour updraft inside an EF4 tornado in Minnesota. And at least for that particular tornado, which was about 1.3 miles wide, the vertical and the horizontal scales were comparable. So the horizontally rotating winds were about the same as the updrafts you get in there. Uh, we'll have to intercept many more tornadoes of different life cycles to see what kind of patterns exist between the two. Uh, but, you know, we'll be storm chasing for hopefully the next 50 years. So many more tornado intercepts. Yeah, the come. storms allow, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, Chris is your lead videographer for TVM, mm -hmm. and, but you shoot too. You, your partner's in the business. How much shooting do you get done now, now that you're spending a lot of time kind of for the cameras of the Discovery Channel? Mm -hmm. You don't seem to get a whole lot of time with the camera in your hand. You know, you're passing it back yeah. and you're getting some quick shots, but where do you miss any of that? Do you miss that kind of hands-on? You get a lot of hands-on still with the show, but... Do, yeah. you, do you split in the duties still well, with before, the video? Before the last two years, I used to do all the shooting. So every single one of our videos, you know, I was always behind the camera. And there's kind of a way when you're looking through the camera and you see a tornado from close range, it's almost like you're not there. Right. So right. you kind of get this little false sense of security. And I do miss that a little bit. Uh, but now Chris is doing all our shooting. Uh, his heart rate pretty much slows down close to tornadoes, so he gets the really steady shots. But, you know, I, I really miss shooting but if i was shooting the tornadoes it'd probably be all over the place oh. i get a little overexcited so. i won't tell him what he said about that all right <laughs> about you sure holding the camera the <laughs> it'll get us all in trouble but yeah. there is an interesting uh meeting here between fire photography mm -hmm. and and the storm chasing the storm photography it's not a portrait session you're not in a yeah. in, in a contained environment you're shooting something with an ultimate goal at getting good footage but you got to watch your back you got to mm -hmm. see in this case what the storm is doing because there's also a huge risk and a safety element involved so you have to split your attention among uh, in, in different directions yeah it's definitely not a studio in there i mean it's ever-changing conditions can be really harsh you can have a lot of wind uh, a lot of debris flying around softball sized hailstones that can knock you out sometimes uh, so it's yeah definitely not a controlled environment but 
It also makes the demos more challenging. I think that's part of the allure of storm chasing. That is, if you hailstones, if you're not hitting, you knock yourself out with a baseball bat. That's right. right? Yeah, the new rhino lining on the. Uh, on the dom here. Yeah. I underestimated its recoil a little bit. The bat came right back at me. Thankfully, I've got a hard cranium. But. Yeah, a good, good melon. Yeah. Now, how is technology? I mean, obviously, as we kind of watch the, the seasons progress with Storm Chasers, watching the, your technology, your equipment progress, and you're tra- you, you've got the parachute probes now, and you're trying to mm-hmm. work all that in. How is technology making the re- your research easier? Or is it even yeah. making it harder in some respects? Does well, it make lot, it more complicated? In a lot of ways, the technology's made it possible. So now we can have a radar the size of a briefcase that's durable enough to withstand the harsh conditions inside a tornado. Um, having the data, having high-speed internet almost anywhere in the plains, in some ways makes it easier to find tornadoes. In some ways, it can get you in trouble, though, too. If you can become you know, too dependent on the data, you won't use your eyes as much, and it's caused me to miss a lot of tornadoes. But I think in terms of research, the technology's only helping. Now, is it uh, Yazoo City that, that really stands out for you, where you became a first responder? You, t- you went from storm, chas- storm chaser to first responder, and a lot of us fire photographers, fire department photographers, can identify with that. Yeah. How was how that, that, that? Was that a shock to you, seeing firsthand the fresh damage and, and destruction that these storms can do that you, you're so passionate about chasing? It was a big shock and a very overwhelming feeling going house to house, pulling the people out, and saw some serious, serious injuries I never thought I'd see in my lifetime, or at least hoped I wouldn't. And they definitely stick with you. Uh, but it's more motivating, you know, to, to do the, the storm reporting side, to collect data, to try to better understand tornadoes, for the end result being to, you know, increase warning lead times. And I think that when you see damage like that, it's motivating to to really drive the humanitarian benefit of storm chasing. And uh, it's something that I hope I never see again, but there's always a chance we will. And for that reason, we're all getting first responder training uh, going into next storm season because that's Chris's, Chris's online CPR certification is just not going to cut it anymore. So. <laughs> well, that, that's respectable, though, because you, you may very well be the first ones there, just like that's you true. were then, and you, you can help. You can put the cameras down and and help uh, i heard a rumor no more flip-flops or no more flip-flops yeah i've been chasing for 13 years in flip-flops nobody ever said anything until the last two years but uh on thanksgiving i was storm chasing with ginger and stepped in a hole when i was looking at a wall cloud and there was a broken pipe in there and i got a gash in my achilles heel that was basically down to the tendon or bone and I realized then that it's time to wear some shoes. Or just go the whole other end of the extreme and do uh, barefoot storm chasing. So. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but TVN, its origin was in documenting, was filming these mm-hmm. storms and then selling the footage. Does that still pay the bills? Yeah, tornadovideos.net started with uh, getting footage and selling it to breaking news networks and production companies, and that's how we started to make ends meet storm chasing. Uh, that's still pays for the bills. Discovery Channel helps us out a lot with our research funds. That makes it possible to do things like the Dominator and the Radar. Uh, But we're still selling footage and we run tours too on ExtremeTornadoTours.com. So we take people around and show them tornadoes in the plains. We're going to put links to that in the show notes for the webcast so everybody will have access to to go check that stuff out. Thank you. Now what's next for TVN and your research? Uh, Next year we're going to be deploying a second Dominator. So we'll have both of them in the field. Uh, it's going to look more like a flying saucer, silver bullet type shape. Uh, we'll be able to intercept stronger tornadoes with that. Uh, we'll be, do maybe Zeppelin probes instead of the parachute probes to have a little bit of buoyancy so they just ride the Because the fixed in. wing one is, is grounded, apparently. Yeah. The, air, the airplane. Unfortunately, the RC aircraft has been grounded, our aerial attack. 
Uh, it's been grounded by the FAA, so we're hoping to get Maybe that. they don't like the aerial attack uh, name. <laughs> yeah, it should probably change it to something <laughs> description. Else. It is the a aerial harmless. observation platform. Uh, 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 what grounds did they say on that uh, for the grounding when they told you you couldn't fly? I think it's more the launching and landing on public roads. Okay, all right. and it's possible that an RC aircraft could become part of debris with tornadoes, but we're staying out well ahead of the circulation, like sometimes five or ten miles and dropping parachute probes in. So hopefully we'll get that going, but it's kind of a blessing in disguise because it motivated the design of our air cannon system, which is easier to get the probes into the actual funnel of rotation. Any of you nailed that down yet? We heard there was a, a switch problem with the GPS. Uh, the switches were, because their location, were getting turned off while yeah. being launched. And it's, it's always a, a constant fine-tuning of this stuff because you're really on the on the bleeding edge, as they say, of this research. Yeah, it is a constant fine-tuning. I think any time in science, you're, you know, you're always encountering unexpected hurdles. And you know, we're always improving our research. And hopefully this year we'll get some of those back. We did recover a few probes, but most of those are the ones that got shot straight into the ground. So we want the ones that are in the tornado for, for miles to get that valuable data. Right. Now, we gave our, our Twitter followers who listen to the podcast a chance to say, you know, what question do you want to ask Reed? And the overwhelming response was, how much of, of the show we see on Storm Chasers, how much of it is you versus how much of it is, is kind of manipulated or edited together by Discovery? It's all real, definitely. Uh, storm, it's hard to fake storm chasing. Uh, I mean, tornadoes are going to either happen or they're not, you know, and uh, that, it's all real, definitely. And as far as scripting, you know, any scripting? Obviously, when you're chasing, there doesn't seem to, it all seems to be natural, but maybe in, in the wraparounds when you're kind of going into a little more detail about stuff, is that scripted or do they give you, hey, go into this with more detail? They just kind of set it set it in place and we just let it rip. So, All right. yeah, some of the hotel exit scenes we have to reshoot because the camera guys aren't in place and we walk out of the hotel. And we're really bad at doing those. I mean, we look pretty fake when we're walking out of the hotel. But we're like, hey, time to go chase storms, guys. But, I mean, you got to exit the hotel eventually anyway. So It's like the tornado is going to happen anyway. you got to come out of the hotel at some point anyway. Yeah. But i got to tell you, one of my favorite parts while I watch the shows on their, their first airing is you tweeting kind of behind the scenes oh yeah stuff that's i get a lot of enjoyment out of that that's a, kind of the funny behind the scenes stuff yeah and we'll be tweeting during the whole storm chasing season we'll tell you when we intercept and what our thoughts are for every day and my my twitter is just read timber tvn so every, now you're going to have a million new followers because nice. a million people listen to this podcast but, nice. but thanks for your time reed yes gene blevins has a question though i asked you the other one about the uh, the budget cut things with the uh, weather thing coming up, but uh, what is what do you do on the off season when the storm season is done? There's not much going on. What do you do? Uh, basically, back home or I uh, obviously work on the dominator. But what do you do? Uh, You're not mowing golf courses. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> I play a little golf here and there. But yeah, uh, yeah what's, what's the off time? Uh, what do you do? Just well, curious. it's kind of a depressing question because I really have no life outside of storm chasing. <laughs> but during the off season now with storm chasing, I do a lot of speaking events, a lot of conventions. Uh, I've been on the road nonstop since. Uh, December 15 or so. Uh, so I think I've been in Norman a total of like two or three days. So I just got some clean boxers from Walmart today, so that put a smile on my face. <laughs> Time to go do some laundry. I'll tell you what, if, you, if, you, if your fall is quiet, come out to Southern California. We'll take you to some wildfires. We'll do. Thank our, you. Fi our firestorms. I'd love yeah, to join you guys. Yeah, All see right. some of those fire vortices. Yeah, we do. Get we, them. Get them. We, oh, yeah. we get them. They got their own weather. So Definitely. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Go, yeah. go save your voice, okay? Thank I know you so you've much. been ill. We appreciate the, uh, the time. Thanks, Appreciate it. Good luck.
Well, there you have it. ChaserCon 2011 from Denver, Colorado. A special thank you to Tim Samaras and Roger Hill, the organizers and founders of ChaserCon, as well as TVN's Chris Chittick and Reed Timmer. Go to firegroundaction.com and click on the show notes for this episode. It's episode 57, and there you'll find all the links our guests mentioned throughout the show. So uh, go there and check those out and go to chasercon.com and book your trip for uh, Denver, Colorado for ChaserCon 2012. It'll surely be a great time. Once again, thank you to audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash FAP and choose from over 85,000 titles for your free audiobook download. Well, that's it for this episode, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be safe out on those fire lines or storm chasing lines, and we'll see you next time on Fireground Action Photography.